What a very apropos set of songs Brother Cole chose there. I was thinking as he was playing that first one, I was thinking where the Lord's brought us. And I'm like, that's it. God leads his dear children along. Thankful that he's patient with us. Merciful with us, long-suffering. And then they follow it up by, Be thou my vision. (laughs) I tell you what, Christian, you and I need the right vision. Numbers chapter number 10 this morning. Numbers chapter 10. I'm glad you came this morning. It uh, feels like fall because it is. Probably the only profound thing I will say today. Numbers chapter 10. And as you're turning there, we just come through Numbers chapter 9. I know you couldn't figure that out. But I just wanted to call momentarily to mind the three things we said last week out of chapter 9 that was worth remembering. There's some things in life that, quite frankly, are not worth remembering. But there are three things in Numbers chapter 9 that we saw. We kind of mined it out, you know. And that's what the book is. The book, the Bible, is a mine. And it's full of gold, silver, precious stones. And it's our job to mine it out. But what things we saw last week that were worth remembering, first of all, is that the Lamb of God, if you're here today and you're saved, let me say that again, let me back up. If you've ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've got to remember that the Lamb of God delivered you. And that's what they wanted. That's what the Lord wanted uh, Moses. That's what the Lord God wanted Israel to remember is that they were delivered. A year to the date. And number two, not only uh, does the Lamb of God deliver you, but we had to remember a couple things. We had to remember that things in this life will constantly try to derail you in your service for Jesus Christ and your obedience of Jesus Christ. There's all things, and no doubt you encountered it all week long. There it is. There's a thing that's trying to derail you. Say, what is it that derails me? Well, I'm not re-preaching last week's message, but I want to segue back into chapter 10 here. But first of all, it's going to be the world. Second of all, it's going to be your flesh. You're going to fight your flesh like you did last week, and you're going to fight it this week. You're going to fight it until you go home to glory. And it's going to be the devil. God forbid the devil ever gets turned loose on some of y'all. It's a bad thing. And of course, I have to throw a fourth one in there. Carnal Christians. Carnal Christians will seek to derail you. They'll seek to justify why they're miserable like they are. But you have to remember, first of all, that the Lamb of God deliver you. Things in this life will try to derail you. And then, of course, the last thing. Does anybody remember what it was? The last thing that we looked at last week is that the Lord God will direct you if you let him. And that's kind of like the should be our goal in the Christian life is to allow Jesus Christ through the leading of the Holy Spirit to guide us. With those thoughts in mind, we turn to Numbers chapter 10. Now here's another interesting chapter before we start getting into some of the narrative. And I don't know how you read your Bible. I like history. I know some of you had your guts full of history and you, you don't care anything about it. But I like the narrative part of the scriptures. I like a moving storyline. The things that are difficult to me are the minute details. They really are. 
Why? You say, are you OCD? Well, maybe a little bit, right? Maybe I have a little ADHD and add any kind of syllables on, and, and letters and all that stuff on them. I just may, I got all kinds of issues, amen? So do you. But I like those narrative storylines where you can keep moving forward with it. But as we get to Numbers chapter 10, you see a couple things here. <clears throat> you immediately are met by 10 verses on a couple of silver trumpets. But wait, there's more. After 10 verses on a couple of silver trumpets, you encounter 18 verses on how Israel was to journey. Please hold your excitement. After that, you have four verses of kind of a family flavor. And then finally, you top the whole thing off with a flying ark leading the way. (laughs) Almost sounds like a Doctor Who novel, doesn't it? Now, I'm I'm serious. I believe in every word, the Word of God is what you and I need. And as I'm still trying to process the song, brother, that you play, God leads us along. It's exactly what he's trying to do. He's not trying to have us uh, to do some great, wonderful, marvelous, excellent, tremendous, stupendous thing for ourselves. He's trying to lead us. He's trying to lead us in a Christian life that pleases him. And he's trying to do it every single day. So what you and I are gathered together today, we are simply here to eat a meal together. That's what it is. It's a spiritual meal. So when you leave here, some of you are going to go to the restaurant. Amen? Some of you got something in the crock pot. Some of you are like, you're just fresh out of luck because no one's cooking for you. It's going to be peanut butter and jelly again. Amen? But we're here to have a spiritual meal together. And before we do, let's pray. Father, we sure love you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. I pray now that you'd open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And Father, I love this book. Father, I'm forever a student of your word. Father, would you open this book up to us? Give us exactly what we need. Bless your people and help them in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't want to read uh, too much because I want to go through the passages as we go together, but I want to get right into the breakdown of this chapter here and just kind of preach some things practically to you. We mentioned, first of all, that the first 10 verses are all about a couple of silver trumpets. Kind of the weirdest thing you've ever seen in your life, that the Lord would spend 10 verses speaking about two silver trumpets trumpets, but he does. So if the Lord's going to speak about some silver trumpets, I guess there's some things we can learn about silver trumpets. Even if you don't know how to play the trumpet, there's some things we can learn about the silver trumpets. I want you to consider the order of the trumpets here this morning. Consider the order of these trumpets. First of all, the two trumpets were made for the two priests. So now you know the reason for two trumpets, because there's two sons of Aaron. And verse 2 says, make thee two trumpets of silver. And then in verse 8, if you look at that, the Bible says the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow with the trumpets. So now you know why there's two trumpets, because Aaron's got two sons. Well, interesting enough, I think it's over in 1 Kings chapter 1, maybe verse 20 or somewhere on there. Uh, old Solomon, he's got 120 people playing the trumpet. Now, where he come up with 120, I have no idea, but here it's two because Aaron had two sons, amen? Now, that's news that you can use, possibly. But after that, these two trumpets, notice in verse 2, they were made of a whole piece of silver. As of a whole piece, verse 2, shalt thou make them. You say, that's, that's really great, preacher. Uh, I'm really glad you shared with us the fact that you had to take two whole pieces of silver and make a trumpet. Now, what am I supposed to do with that? Well, think about it. I'm not a refinery guy. I don't know anything about precious metals except I don't have precious metals. So when the Lord says you take two pieces of silver and make trumpets, the only thing I know, that thing's got to be heated up and beaten. Right? That means work had to go into that trumpet. 
to produce the sound that God wanted it to produce. In other words, you couldn't just take all the silver that you find. All right, they're going to take a silver offering. By the way, silver is a figurative of redemption in the Bible. 30 pieces of silver, right? So we're dealing with the price of redemption when we're talking about these trumpets and the silver here. But this, 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 these two trumpets, they had to be made out of two entirely whole pieces of silver. Do you have that picture in your mind yet what a trumpet might look like? Now, imagine it a square block of silver. Make a trumpet, would you? It's going to take some work, isn't it? You can't just throw it in. It wasn't to be cash. You couldn't throw all the silver in like we're talking about, taking up a silver offering and melt it all down, you know, get the scum off the top and, you know, pour it in this little mold. No, you had to take two solid pieces of silver. And I'm trying to reckon this in my little country boy pea brain mind. Two blocks of silver and beat them and heat them and put work into them and sweat around them and continually put work to make the noise to make it perfect. You say, what does that mean? Well, it means they took the blocks of silver and beat them until, until it was right. You couldn't cast it. It had to be beaten. Can I just say this this morning as, kind of a, uh, as you look at these trumpets? If you're going to be worth anything to God, it's going to take putting some work into you. Let me say that again. If you're going to be worth anything for God, and if you're going to do something for God that makes the right sound, then work has to go into you. It's going to have to get heated. You're going to have to suffer some things. That silver had to suffer some blows, didn't it? It had to be heated. It had to be formed. It had to be molded. It had to be made. And in the Christian life, God wants to make you. And it's not just a simple thing. It is a process. God leads His dear children along. And that process takes a breaking down. That process takes the heat. That process takes the refiner's fire. And you got two trumpets. They couldn't be, be, they couldn't be cast. Two whole pieces of silver. I want you to notice here. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 27, you might write a reference or two down. i got a bunch of references I might refer to today. But as Isaiah chapter 28, verse 27, it's talking about the plowman sowing. He's sowing some seeds. He's sowing the, the cumin and the fitches and the corn, three types of seed in the Bible there. And But that whole thing about uh, the, the cumin, the fitches, and the corn in Isaiah 28, 27, you learn that the fitches, that's with an F by the way, the fitches are beaten out with the staff. You say, well, that's another piece of news that I cannot use. Well, let me just tell you what. God doesn't thresh everyone the same way. God's going to thresh every one of His children a different way. God's going to chastise His children a different way. God is going to form His children not all in the same way. God's going to, I'm going to say it, beat some of His children a different way. You know, some Christians are like that little, uh, that little tiny fitch, just a little thing. And what the Lord has to do every once in a while is He's got to take a little, little, little rod about the size of your thumb. Amen? That's about the size some of y'all need to take to your kids. Amen? And uh, He takes that and whop! And just hits that, just slaps that Christian a little bit and just whops that Christian a little bit and that Christian will get in line. But you know, there that fitches uh, the cumin and the corn. Uh, the cumin's be the fitches are beaten out with a staff. And I'm just saying this morning, if something is going to have value, God's going to have to put some work into it. 
And these trumpets were extremely valuable. And God made sure that some work was put into these trumpets. I also want, to, I want you to remember this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. The Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Amen? You think the Lord loves you this morning? <laughs> I know the Lord loves me. Why? He beats a fire out of me every once in a while. <laughs> and whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. You know how I knew my parents loved me growing up? Because they'd every once in a while take me to the woodshed. No, I didn't think it was love at that point in time. I thought it was cruel and unusual punishment. And I should call whatever it was, uh, you know, come, you know, take him to jail. And the old man would say this, I'll call for you. <laughs> At any rate, <clears throat> he said, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. You ever stop and think about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he went through for you and me? You think some work was put into the Lord? The Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 10, yet it pleased him to bruise him. He bruised his only begotten son. He bruised his son. And let me tell you what, if the Lord was pleased to bruise his own son, he'll bruise you too. I'm just saying this morning that you are a work in God's hands. And he'll never extract one more tear than, you, than, than, he, than he requires. He won't do it. But he's going to put some work into you if you let him. And make you a valuable, valuable piece of silver. Well, this, uh, the work had to go into this trumpet this morning. Not only that, but this shows me also as I look at these trumpets that were blown by the priest, Aaron's son. Uh, this shows me that the work of the priest originally was to be a trumpeter in the house of God. I'll say it again. The original work of that priest was to be a trumpeter in the house of God. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Well, not if you look at Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1. In Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1, he tells his prophet, he says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions and sins. Ain't that something? The original work of that priest was to be a trumpeter. You know what? You know what we're missing in America? We're missing preachers that are willing to lift up their voice like a trumpet. It's my job as a preacher to lift up my voice to a trumpet and say what? Show the people their transgressions and their sins. Yes, I understand my job is to exhort, to encourage you, to lift you up, to be long-suffering and doctrinal, but also it's to reprove and to rebuke as well. Why? God's leading us along. God's putting work into you and I. And the original job of that priest uh, was to be a trumpeter for the Lord God. Now this trumpet here, we'll uh, get moving here. The two trumpets, they had a number of different uses. Look at verse 2. One of the uses was for assembling. Uh, verse 5. Another use was to sound an alarm and a movement of troops. Uh, look at verse 10. Another use was for the beginning of their months. That about the Passover time. Uh, another uh, reason in verse 10 was for solemn days. Another reason in verse 10 was for some days of gladness. And another time in verse 10 was for sacrifices and peace offerings. Now here's the thing. Now while historically this is absolutely to Israel. This is about Israel and the wilderness. Two trumpets being made. And what they are, they're used for communication. So sometimes when they got the people together, they, they blasted a certain way. And when they had to move the troops into battle, they blasted a different way. And you had to know what the sound was. But you know what? Even though that's to Israel, you know what to me as a child of God, you know what I'm concerned about? One trumpet that's coming up one day. Amen. Amen. There's a trumpet coming up one day, and that's the only trumpet I'm concerned about. 
I'm not concerned about uh, trumpets that some angels blowing in the tribulation. I'm concerned about the trumpet that shows up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Take your Bible. I want to show you this real quick. Two places, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. I was having a discussion with my daughter uh, the other day, yesterday actually, and we've come to the conclusion that churches as a whole no longer teach Bible doctrine. And you know what? I, shame on me if I don't teach Bible doctrine. Exactly what the Bible says about a certain Bible topic. And when we're talking about the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, the only trumpet I'm concerned about is that, that one that blows and inaugurates us getting out of here. And it could sound off at any time. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 51. The Bible says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You want to memorize those two passages, or at least write them down. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the only trumpet that you and I, as a child saved, born again child of God, should even be concerned about today. Is waiting for that trumpet to sound to get us out of here. You say, why? I don't know about you, but I'm tired of being here. Yes, I know I've got work to do while I'm here. Yes, I'm doing the best I can to be faithful, to be God's man, deliver God's message with God's manuscript, and be God's man to my family. But I am sick and tired of being here. And I'm waiting for that trumpet. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. The Bible says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the only trumpet I'm concerned about today. I know I can take some great practicalities from them, two silver trumpets and the work that went into them and the blows that went into them and the pain and the heat that went into them and what they were used for. And yes, we can make some applications, but a child of God, there's one trumpet I'm listening for. And that's the trumpet that inaugurates the rapture of the church. And you know what? It could sound off right now. That'd be all right. Are you ready to go? Would it be all right if we went today? How about before I get to point two? That's kind of weak, amen. <laughs> I tell you what, if that trumpet sounds and I'm not done, Jesus Christ, we'll let him finish the message, amen. And we'll sit forever at his feet and learn from the master's feet. Now, not only that, you've got... You've got the order of the trumpets. I want to show you in verses 11 to 28 the order of the journey. You say, what's all this big deal about the order of this and the order of that? This whole chapter, one thing becomes increase, uh, excuse me, increasingly clear. That I can't talk, but the more important thing is, is God is a God of order. And since God's a God of order, that tells me something as a Christian. I need order in my life. And if you look around you, you're going to notice disorder. Everywhere you go, disorder. You wonder why genders are falling apart? Disorder. You wonder why the workplace is falling apart? Disorder. You want to know why homes are falling apart? Disorder and sin. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, he said, let all things be done decently and in order. I'm telling you this morning, God's a God of order. Amen. When you do something, you should do it decently and in order. And God, that thing is specifically clear. So let's look at the order of the journey in verses 11 to 28. 
verses 11 and 20, you have the order of the journey. I want you to notice that God ordered the time frames in which they traveled. I'm going to give you some things here and make some comment in verse 11. Verse 11, the Bible says, the 20th day of the second month in the second year. Did you catch all that? God numbered the time, He ordered the time frames in which they would travel. Look at it again in verse 11. The 20th day of the second month in the second year. That's the time frame. That's the day. That's the month. That's the year. What did God say? It's time to move. Let me tell you what. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, For everything there is a season. And there's a time to do this, and a time to do that, and a time to do this, and a time to do that. You go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, about verse 20, maybe 21. You know what Paul says to Timothy? Do thy diligence to come before winter. You say, why? Time's wasting. Time's wasting. God ordered the time frames in which Israel must travel. And let me tell you what. He's ordered your time, frame, time frames in which you must travel too. Your steps have been ordered in His Word. Did you know that this morning? I was just trying to get you to understand that the Christian life is not by chance at all. That's why if you're here today and you're blowing your cotton picking money on the lottery, unless you're going to win big and tithe, I wouldn't mess with the thing. Thank you for laughing. That's funny right there. If not, your funny bone's busted. But the Christian life is not given to chance. There's nothing given to chance in the Christian life. Somebody say amen besides my daughter. Thank you. There is nothing given to chance in the Christian life. We are to walk by faith, not by... We're not to walk by chance either. Amen. Amen. I'm saying this morning that God ordered the time frames in which they traveled. Notice this. God ordered the direction in which they traveled. Verse 12. The Bible says, And the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran. You see that God's got the time that you should move, and God's got the place that you should move. The direction that you should move. You don't have to leave out of here today and say, I wonder what I should do. And one fellow told me one time, I just don't know what to do. I said this, well, don't do anything at all. Why? You don't have direction. You don't have the light. In the old days, uh, we used to use what's called a map. Anybody heard of a map before? Now it's Siri or whatever you're using, right? Or a GPS or some crazy thing hollering at you, a female or something telling you to turn here and pick up your underwear and all the rest of that stuff. But anyways... <clears throat> But uh, the, you, the reason you should never move, if you don't know, is because you don't have direction. And God ordered the direction in which they traveled. Notice this in verse 13, God ordered the leadership of the nation. Is this too simple this morning? I'm trying to teach you that there is order in the Christian life. And all through chapter 10, God shows you the order. God ordered not only the time frame, not only the direction, but God ordered the leadership of the nation. Look at verse 13, by the hand of Moses. There's no doubt this morning who God's man was, right? It's Moses. Moses, the man of God. Moses, the friend of God. He was the leader of that nation. By the way, the Bible says in Acts chapter 7, I think it's around verse 34 to 38, that it was a church in the wilderness. Ain't that wild? <laughs> two, million, two million Jews in the wilderness. That's all, that's all. I mean, Rick Warren, eat your heart out. Joel Osteen, you ain't even got nothing close. 30,000, oh, stop it. Two million, church in the wilderness. How'd you like to have that role? How'd you like to have that roster? Ain't that something? What ministry are we going to do today? We're going to polish some rocks, I guess. <laughs> but you got the leadership of the nation. You know what God did? God ordered that. God had an order. God's order was that man would lead that nation. Amen? 
Not only that, but if you begin looking at verse 14 all the way through verse 27 or 28 it is, God ordered the leadership for each tribe and those leaders were the princes of those tribes. I'm just telling you what you already know is God ordered the leadership of the nation, God ordered the leadership of those tribes. Look at verse 14 again. Verse 14, the Bible says, And over his host was Nashon, the son of Amminadab. That's talking about Judah's prince there. And God ordered leadership the way it should go. Not only that, but notice this, God ordered the travel, the way that each tribe should travel and when they should travel. Look at verse 14. Here's a very practical thing you should get a hold of this morning. In verse 14, the Bible says, In the first... You know, that you see that phrase right there? That is the only time first place occurs in your King James Bible. I find that interesting. You know why? Because it's Judah. And guess where Jesus comes from? Judah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Who gets first place? Jesus does. What tribe gets first place? Not America. <laughs> Americans got to be first at everything. All you got to do is watch the Olympics, and you got that figured out. If an American isn't getting a gold medal, he's upset, or she's upset. Now, you watch some of these eastern countries, they even even show up, they're honored to be there. Why? Because the eastern, the Shemite, doesn't think like a Japhethite. The Shemite thinks effort, effort. I did my best. I did my best. It doesn't matter if I came in 18th place and there's only 17 spots. He showed up, and he did his best. But Americans want to be first place. Americans want to be first place not only in the Olympics, they want to be first place in the home. They want to be first place in the job. You're dealing with generation, at least two generations now, that show up to work and think they should run the company. No, you need to pick up the broom and sweep the floor for about 20 years, and then we'll talk to you about a nickel raise. Amen? But Americans, they got to be first place, but there's only one first place in the tribes, and it's Judah. Let me just remind you this morning what I think you're picking up. You're not always going to be first place in the Christian life. How about this? Guess where our servants are. Remember we preached on Numbers chapter 7 about God gave some a little? That's the F-150 ministry, if you remember. God gave some a lot. That's the F-350 ministry. And then God gave some none. Guess where they're at? They're in the middle. You ever heard a monkey in the middle? That's Gershon, Merari, and Kohath. You say, what's in the middle? Nothing. What are you saying? I'm just trying to encourage you this morning. That many times when you serve, you're stuck in the middle. Nobody sees you. You remember old Elijah, the son of Shaphat, the prophet, I'm sorry, Elisha, that would take over Elijah's job there eventually? You know, he's plowing over there, what is it, the first Kings, uh, chapter 16 or 17 there, and he's plowing. He's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. That's a bunch of oxen. That's 24. And the Bible says this, and he with the 12. You know what that old preacher is doing? He was in the very back. He was yoked up with the 12 yoke of oxen, and he was with the 12. What a great scenery that is. And when you serve the Lord, you're going to have some, well, unsavory scenery, amen? And when you serve the Lord, you're probably going to step in some things too. And you're not going to mean to, but when you step in it, This kind of stinks. You picking it up? No, don't pick it up. Shovel or something like that. I'm just saying the servants, Gershon, Merari, and Kohath, you see that, what, verse 7 and 9 or whatever that is there, 21. I've got them written down here. I'll just give them to you as a reference point here. (coughs) 
You've got, uh, you've got Gershon, he's fourth, and he's in verse 17. Merari, he was fifth, he was verse 17. And Kohath was ninth, and that's in verse 21. You ever stop and think about how the middle child always feels neglected? The middle child generally feels that no one pays enough attention to him. Are we getting close? The servants go, yeah. servants go in the middle. You say, what kind of recognition is in the middle? Nothing. There's no recognition. And then on top of that, Kohath is bringing up the, the rear of the middle. I'm just saying, look, Christian, you're not always going to be first. There's only going to be one first. And how about this? Naphtali. Who's Naphtali? Well, he's one of the sons of Jacob. He's last, 28. Hey, what's up, Naph? Just picking up the rear here. Okay. Well, can I just give this to you practically? They all make it to the promised land. They all made it to the promised land. So what if Judah got there three days earlier? They all made it to the promised land. And whether you're in first place, or whether you're the monkey in the middle, or whether you're Naphtali, bringing up the rear end, you're going to make it if you're saved. Amen? Amen. You've got to remember that. Why? Scenery is not always great. Everyone can't be Judah. Oh, look, new sights, and you're the first one to see you know, the new pothole in the road, and you're the first one to see, oh, look, there's a deer over there. I don't know if there's deer over there or not, but you know what I'm saying? There's only one first, and that's Jesus Christ. You've got to remember, God orders everything. He's got an order for everything. What you need to understand is God has an order for the New Testament Christian. That's what we're trying to ascertain. That's what we're trying to understand this morning as we look at Numbers chapter 10. God has an order for trumpets. He tells Moses how to make it. Look, Moses was 80 years old. He come out of Egypt, the best schools in Egypt. I'm thinking he knew a little bit about trumpets. But God still had to tell him how to make it. And Moses took orders from the man or from God that told him how to make it. But in the New Testament Christian's life, you and I need to remember that God has an order for our life. Can I give you some things that you already know? Just some practical applications here. Can I give you the order of marriage? It's kind of a shame in 2022 we have to go through this again. I'm not trying to shame you, but you and I live in a society that is continually jading you. That is continually lying to you that is continually anti-biblical. You live in a country that is anti-God and anti-biblical. You live in a state that is anti-God and anti-biblical. I'm going to go a step further. You live in a county that is anti-God and anti-biblical. Well, what's what's the order for marriage? Genesis 2.24. One man and one woman. And a man shall leave his father and shall cleave unto his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. Simple order. One man, one woman. Then the kids. Amen. That's God's order of marriage. How about God's order of family? God's order of family. Ephesians chapter 5, 23. The Bible says the husband is the head of the wife. We're doing okay this morning. You say, well, that's old-fashioned. Well, that Bible's old-fashioned. And I didn't write it either. So you can't blame me. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 23, the husband is the head of the wife. He's supposed to then act like the head and not the other end. Amen? Right? We're doing all right. He's the head. Then act like the head. 
He's supposed to be a loving head, a benevolent head, a kind head. Not that kind of head. That's the order of the family. The husband is the head of the wife. Now, some of you didn't laugh, and I'm ashamed of you. You know why? I'm going to tell you why right now. Some of you laughed at stuff on television that was ungodly. And when I'm giving you straight Bible, you won't chuckle, you won't laugh. Shame on you. Shut that thing off. You're welcome. Order of the family. The husband is the head of the wife, Ephesians 5.23, 1 Timothy 5.14. The Bible says the wife guides the house. You let your wife guide the house? You let her change the curtains? You let her pick the... <laughs> Some of you have been married longer. Oh, yeah, preacher, we already covered that. You let her pick out the furniture? You let her pick out what you drive? Well, no, preacher, I'm the man. You sure are. That's why you're sleeping on the couch. You're the man. But the woman, 1 Timothy 5.14, says she's supposed to guide the house. Now, that does also include the children as well, amen? Yes. But she's to guide the house. You want to see that thing in action? Read Proverbs chapter 31. There is a godly woman doing more than most women I've ever met in my life do. Not this little fundamental uh, canned uh, woman that wears a, a, you know, a skirt to the floor and can't do anything unless she asks her husband. That's baloney. What is that? That's Islam. You read Proverbs chapter 31, you'll, you'll see what it's like to, to have your wife guide the house. Amen. That's, that's the order of the family. The husband's the head of the wife, Ephesians 5.23. The wife guides the home, uh, 1 Timothy 5.14. And the children... Obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6.1 Well, we're children, we need a voice. Yes, you do. It's called, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Not, yeah! Amen. It's hard to run from your raising, isn't it? I don't know how many times I said, don't call me, sir. Hard to run from, yes, sir, I won't. <laughs> Sorry, sir. <laughs> right? Amen. The order of marriage, the order of family. How about the order of the church house? You want to skip that one? Okay, we'll do it. All right. All right, the order of the church house. 1 Peter chapter 5, 1. The Bible says that the pastor feeds the flock and willingly takes the oversight of the house. The pastor feeds the flock and willingly takes oversight of the house of God. That pastor has a spiritual rule. You find that in Hebrews 13, 7. While those that attend are busy pleasing the Lord, Revelation 4, 11, Serving the Lord, Romans 12, 11, and submitting uh, one to another in the fear of God, Ephesians 5.21. You say, you're too fast for me. I understand. All right, so the pastor, he is to what? He's supposed to feed the flock. He said, feed the flock that's among you, First Peter chapter 5, verse 1. He has a spiritual rule given to him. My rule is spiritual. I don't tell you what to do. I don't tell you where to go. I don't tell you what time to go to bed. I don't tell you what car to drive. I don't tell you what clothes to wear. I could care less. Just make sure you're wearing clothes. Amen. My rule is a spiritual rule. Where the job of a church member or a sheep is to please the Lord, Revelation 4.11, serve the Lord, Romans 12.11, and be submitting to each other in the fear of God. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. That's the order. 
I'm telling you, God is a God of order. And somehow because we now have advanced our technology and now we have 5G and we're moving up on 6G and whatever else is going on, we're all out of order. This world is completely out of order. And if you're not careful in your Christian life, you'll let this world hook you into being out of order. You'll think because you're an American, you're a free bird, that you don't have to follow God's order. Now, I'm just, you know, I'm just giving you just tips of the iceberg through the Bible at the moment. God's order for the home. God's order for the family. God's order for the church house. You know, God even has an order of fellowship. You ever stop and think about that? A lot of church service over the last 30 and 40 years and many church houses, preacher gets up, preaches against sin, and the church member uh, occasionally will come down to an altar, squall and ball, repent, get right, and go back. In a matter of time, they're just back in the pig pen again. They don't understand fellowship. Fellowship is essential to you and I being right with the Lord and being able to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The first thing that's essential for fellowship is you've got to be saved. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, right? You have to be born again. You have to be saved. All right, preacher, I'm saved. Well, the next thing you have to do is make sure that on a daily basis you're confessing your sins. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to cleanse us. I'm sorry, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You've got to be saved. All right, preacher, I'm saved. You've got to daily confess your sins. Now, if you're not daily confessing your sins, we're going nowhere from here. And if you want to know why the Lord stopped talking to you a long time ago, it's because you quit confessing your sins. And He's only going to tell you so many times before He's just going to stop and He's going to leave you alone for a while. But you think about it. If you had good parents, they'd do that every once in a while. They'd say, all right, go to your room and think about it. You thought your life was over. Old man come and tear you up. Well, you've got to be saved. Daily confession of all known sin. How about this one? Daily Bible reading and study. Daily Bible reading and study. Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, how much time should I spend reading my Bible? How much time should I study? I tell you what, you figure that out with the Lord. But I'm going to tell you what, if you're not reading your Bible, and if you're not studying the Bible, then you're out of order. That's the job of a Christian. I'm talking about the order of fellowship. Salvation, confession of sin on a daily basis, not to someone uh, in a booth somewhere, but on your knees to the Lord. And then daily reading of that Bible, daily studying of that Bible. Then how about this one? Daily prayer with thanksgiving. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Colossians 4, 2. Daily prayer and thanksgiving. That's fellowship. i got to be saved i got to know Jesus Christ is my Savior. And then i got to make sure I'm confessing my sins every day that I know. i got to make sure that I'm reading and studying my Bible every day that I possibly can. And i got to make sure that I'm praying and being thankful. That's fellowship. These things have I written unto you, 1 John 1, verse 4, that your joy may be full. You ever wonder why you're a sourpuss for the Lord sometimes? No joy. Always down in the mouth. No joy, no fellowship, but yet you know it. You know the Bible. Some of you can rightly divide it better than Larkin can. You know why? No fellowship, no joy, no confession of sin. I'm giving you the order, the order of fellowship. 
Well, we've covered the, the order of the trumpets, the order of the journey, just trying to help you grow in grace a little bit today. Let me give you the order of the family, verse 29 to 32, the order of the family. Now, this thing gets a little bit, as they say, down south, cattywampus. It gets a little sideways. Because what you have is you have four verses of a little blurb with a fellow named Hobab. That's an interesting name. You find out back in Exodus chapter 18, that's Jethro. Not Bodine, but it's Jethro. He might be a hillbilly. He's a Midianite on the backside of the desert. I don't know. But his name's Jethro. And here they call him Hobab. You say, what is that? It's just a nickname. That's all that stuff is. Don't listen with the commentators. They don't listen with a goofy scholar. Say they don't know nothing. Uh, You know, I call my my boy's name Josiah. We don't call him Josiah unless his mother's mad at him. We call him Bean. And here you got Jethro. That's Moses' father-in-law. And here you call him Hobab. You see how that works? Believe the Bible. Don't correct it. But here this thing, the order of the family. I want you to see in verse 29 that Moses tries to get his father-in-law to go with him. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Family first, preacher. Well, there's some places around here it seems like blood's thicker than the Bible. What's up with that? Now, I've done the best I could, which is probably a terrible job, of trying to raise my youngins that you need to take care of family. You need to stick up for family. Amen? And you don't, you don't mess with family. Amen? But at the same token, Moses has got a problem. He's making a big mistake. As you read through the passage here, these four verses, you can't quite tell. You go back to Exodus chapter 18. Jethro didn't want anything to do with what God wanted. Jethro ends up giving Moses some really bad advice. And everything that comes out of the mouth of Jethro or Hobab, the Lord has to overrule every piece of that satanic advice. You say, what are you saying? Let me tell you what, you can't always put family first. Especially when they're not right with God. You say, what's the hidden message? God has to come first. And that's clear as day. You put your family first, you're going to make a mistake. I didn't say don't take care of your family. You never heard me say that. But you put God first, He'll enable you to take care of your family the way you should. A lot of people out here are all worried about their family. I worry about my family. Let me tell you, I want you to worry about taking care of the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I can't promise you your family is going to turn out right. I told my daughters, I wrote some things down for them. I said, I can't, I can't promise you money. <laughs> You're in northern Michigan, first of all. <laughs> can't promise you money. I can't, can't promise you, but I can promise you this. And no matter what you go through, God's going to be with you. Some people are so worried about their family, they leave God out in the dark. I'm just saying there's an order. And Moses is missing it. Moses is making a big mistake that runs him into trouble later and he ends up in a mess with 70 elders. We're not going to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 18 and all the trouble that ensues, but his father-in-law gives him some very satanic advice. And here in verse 29, Moses tries to get his father-in-law to go with him. But in verse 30, Jethro has no desire to be around the Lord and his people. Isn't that telling? If you have family, listen, love them to pieces, pray for them, spend time with them you can, but if they don't want to be around God's people, there's a problem. And you start getting close and real tight with people that don't want to be around God's people and God Himself, you're about ready to make a mistake. you got to make sure God comes first. Jethro has no desire to be around the Lord's people in verse 30. 
But look in verse 31. Moses is in meekness. Moses in his graciousness, right? That Moses is the meekest man in all the earth, the Bible says later. You know what he tries to do? He tries to put Jethro in a position of leadership. Look at verse 31. Thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. Let me tell you what. Newsflash. Old Hobab, or Jethro, whatever you want to call him, he wasn't supposed to be Moses' eyes. The Bible says God was going to lead him. You get to follow in mama, or you get to follow in daddy, you'll be in a mess. You'll be in the ditch. A lot of people across this county have followed mama and daddy, and now they're financially secure, and God ain't within a thousand miles of you. You've got to make sure that you're following the Lord. But Moses still pushes his father-in-law and tries to put him in a place of leadership. Verse 31 says, Thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness. Thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. Moses attempts to put family first, and the Lord had to overrule it. Here's the thing. The Lord might not overrule your family. The Lord was gracious, and he overruled Moses. Thank God for that. He overruled his bad advice, uh, Jethro's bad advice and Jethro's bad decisions, but he might not over. He might just let you follow your family. I'm not trying to. I'm, I don't have no. I'm just saying you cannot put your family above the Lord, especially when your family does not want to be around God, doesn't want anything to do with God or God's people. And you have to be on guard for that. What you need to recognize in your Christian life is that you can't put your family in front of God. It'll be a disaster. Can I give you the last one as we close here this morning? The order of God's leading. The order of God's leading, and that's the last four verses. The interesting part about this that makes this pretty wild is you're dealing with a flying, floating ark. I want you to look at it in your King James Bible. You're dealing with a flying, floating ark. It's almost like a, a, a UFO or something. <coughs> I want you to notice that although Moses attempted to put family first, I want you to notice that God's order of leading is that God must be first in your life. Verse 33 says, The ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days' journey. I'll read it again. The ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days' journey. I'm telling you this morning that God must be first. The order of God's leading is God must be first in your life. He cannot be your co-pilot. We get the idea that God's leading me and, you know, God's directing my step. What we're actually thinking is, yeah, me and the Lord are up front. The picture in verse 33 is the Lord's three days out in front of you. Look at it, verse 33. Three days journey, that ark's out in front of everybody. Seek and rest for God's people. You see that thing? Now, here's the most ironic thing. This means that there was two arks. Two arks then. Why? The Kohathites are carrying the ark of God on their shoulders in the middle of camp back in Numbers 4 and chapter 10, verse 21. There's two arks. You say, what's the significance? I have no clue what the significance is. But you got one ark out in the middle of the camp, and that thing's moving on its own. Oh, preacher, you're crazy. Really? Crazier than the movies you watched this week? You think God could preserve your King James Bible and give you a perfect word of God? Amen. Through the process of time, I do too. You believe every word of it? Every word of it. So if I believe a book that's been preserved through time and eternity, 
Why in the world would I believe that God can make an ark float? You believe the Lord made this earth in seven 24-hour periods? So what's the big deal of making an ark float? Some of you have never heard that before. That's why you don't want to believe it. Oh, you're making it. It's right in front of you. Look at it, verse 33. Verse 33. The ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days' journey. All right, now listen. God must be first in your life, and that means in front of you. In front of you. Not only that, but God must be free to lead as he determines. God must be free to lead as he determines. Now look at verse 35. And it came to pass when the ark set forward. You see that? So there's, that's the second ark. Because that other ark's with the Kohathites in chapter 21. But this ark is in the front and it's setting forward on its own three days ahead of anyone. It's a floating flying ark that's leading the way, searching out a resting place for his people. You know what the Spirit of God's trying to do right now? He's trying to lead you. What happens? Well, a lot of things happen. The Spirit of God, He'll be out in front of you where He should be, and you should be behind Him. You know what separates you and Jesus Christ? Oh, about three days. Up from the grave He arose. Three days. That's the separation. He did what you couldn't do. He rose from the dead. But a Christian will get going on in his Christian life, and he'll get in front of the Lord. You see that? He'll get one step in front of the Lord. You need to let Him be in front. That's the order. And you see that ark's three days journey out in front. That's why it can't be this co-pilot deal. Uh, some Christians, they'll just stop moving all together, and the Holy Spirit's out there waiting for you to catch up with the column, but you won't catch up with the column. You say, why? I don't know why. But the order is go follow Him. You've got to follow Him. God must be first. God must be free to lead as He determines. And now notice this is a perfect type and picture of the Holy Spirit leading in the life of the leader. Listen, from the moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you now have the Holy Spirit living inside of you to guide and direct your every step. That means you don't have to keep making the same dumb mistakes anymore. That means you can trust the Lord. That means you can lean on Him. That means He'll give you direction if you allow Him to lead. Too many Christians are either in front of the Lord, or they've gone a different direction. But the Lord, He needs to be out in front. Why? Because when He's out in front, He's the one that knows where you can rest. You find that in verse 35. Well, God must be first. God must be free to lead as He determines. I want you to notice in Romans 8.14, the Bible says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Are you led by the Spirit this morning? Paul says one of the ways that you absolutely know that you're saved beyond a shadow of a doubt is that you can be led by the Holy Spirit. And the, the Holy Spirit's not a Calvinist. He's not going to drag you. Right? He's not going to drag you. It's your choice. But He needs to be in front. God needs to be number one. God needs to be in front. God needs to be free to lead as He determines. And finally, you must follow and learn to recognize His leadership. You must follow and learn to recognize his leadership. And that's many times as a Christian where you and I fail. He's leading and we don't recognize his leadership. You say, why? I don't know. The Bible says in John 16, 14 that the Spirit of God will lead us into all truth. So if we're not being led into truth, 
it wasn't the Holy Spirit that led us into error. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. He has to be first. He has to be in front. He has to be free to lead us as he sees fit. And finally, we have to learn to follow and recognize his leadership. Notice, look at verse 35. The Bible says, And it came to pass when the ark set forward, it's setting forward on its own. No jetpacks, no thrusters, just, just off it goes. That Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before thee. You know what Moses does? When that ark moves, he recognizes the leadership of God. You know what he does? He follows it. I'd be afraid if I saw that, that crazy ark start moving. I'd be afraid what would happen if I didn't follow it. But see, we walk by faith, not by sight. They're following ark. I'm not giving them any, uh, I'm not giving them a hassle. I'm not, getting, uh, I'm not being difficult on them. But let me tell you what, you and I, we have to walk by faith. And the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. How did you receive Him? By grace through faith. You believed and you received. Now as you received Him by grace through faith, you now, as a Christian, you walk by faith, not by sight. That means as a Christian, I don't have to see everything materialize to believe that God's leading me. I don't have to have a rainbow in the sky. I don't have to have some supernatural sign that belongs to Israel. I walk by faith. I do what God says. I'm saved. I stay in fellowship by confessing my sins, by reading and studying my Bible, and by praying and giving thanks daily. And then what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. What are these things? All the stuff that you need. All these things shall be added unto you. God must be put out in front. He must be first. He must be free to lead as He determines, and you and I must follow and learn to recognize His leadership. Moses acknowledged and recognized. Look at verse 36. And when it rested, that means it stopped, He said, Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. Moses followed that ark. Moses followed the Lord wherever it took him. And every time it started, he recognized its leading. And every time it stopped, you see in the passage, he recognized its leading. And that's what you and I need to do in our lives. When the Lord leads us, we need to recognize it. If, guess what? If he's not leading us, what do I do, preacher? Stay put. Don't move. Why? Rest. Let him lead you. Let him direct you. That's God's order this morning. That is the order of God's leadership. God must be first. God leading and you and I are learning to recognize and follow His leadership. I wonder if that's something you struggle with this morning. Learning to recognize the Lord's leadership. The cares of this world are always with us. As a matter of fact, in the parable of the sorrow, one of the things that chokes out is the thorns. It's the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. But we should be to a place in our Christian life when the Lord moves, we can sense His movement. And we follow him. And when he's not moving, in the process of time, we should stop getting so antsy. We should stop being so, can I say it, immature. Both hands in the air, one foot, two feet I'd fall over. When he stops moving and he's not as close, you get irritated sometimes, don't you? 
Where you at? He's like, I'm right here. Chill out, man. Rest. What am I supposed to do? Nothing. I ain't going nowhere. Okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to run like crazy. Lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. Sometimes you and I just need to learn to rest. We need to learn to be restored. And when he's not leading, learn to occupy till he comes. Learn to sense his leadership. Learn to sense his presence. When he begins to lead you, follow his leadership. Recognize it and things will be okay. God has a specific order in the Christian life. You see it all through Numbers chapter 10. I know it's to Israel. He had the order of the trumpets. He had the order of the journey. He had the order of family. Even though Moses, the meekest man in all the earth, he got the family part messed up. But the Lord was gracious and the Lord corrected that. And of course, the order of God's leading. As my wife comes to the organ this morning, I wonder if your house is in order. I wonder this morning in your Christian life, if your Christian life is in order. Are you following God's order for your life in your house? How about the church house? Are you following God's order for your marriage? Say, oh, preacher, come on. Well, I know. Are you following God's order for your fellowship? God is a God of order. He instructs Paul to tell us to let all things be done decently and in order. Just a call to order this morning. Hope the message was a blessing. We'll give you time to pray at this old-fashioned altar this morning. If the Lord's dealing with you, just be in order and mind the Lord.